going to dive right into uh, a continuation of our series, The Power of Sacrifice, which you can see uh, on, the, on the program folder. And um, I, I just want to begin today with a question for you. Do you ever struggle with God's will? Sometimes maybe it's the struggle of what is God's will for my next step? What does God even want from me? It doesn't seem like God has told me where I should be going. Sometimes it might be the struggle that I often experience, which is more like I know God, God's will because he spelled it out for me in the Bible pretty clear what he wants me to do, but my will wants to go this direction instead of his direction. And so that's exactly what we're talking about today. And like if you're, if you've been around for a while, you remember those cartoons, don't you? The cartoons with an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder kind of in, indicating that this internal struggle that we have with God, with God's will, is pretty common. It's out there amongst all of us to an extent. And it's something that I think this text, more than any other, does a beautiful job of, of showing us maybe, first of all, some comfort. Because guess who is struggling to figure out God's will? Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, is engaged in this wrestling match with God. And you're going you're gonna to hear how that goes. He's feeling some anxiety as he approaches the cross. He knows he's about to be arrested, tried, and then finally crucified. And, and Jesus, the Son of God, is both true God and true man. And what that means is that there's this mysterious interaction between his divine nature and his human nature. And you might think, well, how could Jesus, the Son of God, possibly struggle with his Father's will? I mean, he's God's Son. He's God himself, truly. And yet in his human nature, we know this, Jesus sort of, he, he let go of some of that power. Now, he still had some of it we know from the miracles and all the awesome and amazing things he did. But we also know that Jesus divested himself of some of his divine power. And so he comes before God in this encounter in the Garden of Gethsemane and essentially is asking his father, God, really? Do we really have to do it this way? Is that your will? Is there any other way, Lord, that your will could be fulfilled? Is there maybe some sort of a win-win where I don't have to be crucified and yet accomplish the same goal? Isn't it amazing to think that even Jesus, the Son of God, struggled with the will of God? And you will too. We all will. And that's why this text, this section of Scripture is so important for us. So let's read Luke 22, verses 39 to 46. 
Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What wisdom in that phrase. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So you you might know or you might not know, depending on how much you've been around Christians or Christianity or the church, that, that actually we have some terminology for what's going on with Jesus and what goes on with us. In fact, there's kind of two common ways we describe what's happening here in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of them comes as a metaphor from the Old Testament when a man named Jacob was struggling because of his fears with his brothers Esau, and the two of them were about to meet again after many, many years apart. And when Jacob had fled his home to get away from his brother Esau, it was because he truly feared that his brother Esau was about to kill him. Now the two, many years later, are about to meet again. And of course, Jacob has some understandable fears, and he must be asking himself, God, is this really your will that I come back home and that my brother who must still hate me, that we're supposed to try to reconcile? And so in the Bible, there's this picture of the night before he and his brother Esau are about to meet that Jacob wrestles with God. And, and maybe you felt that way sometimes when you're struggling with God's will or my will. Or even with what does God really want next from me? What is his will? You felt like, man, I'm wrestling with God here. And that is what Jesus was doing here in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling with this heavenly Father. Is this the way, Lord? Is there not another way? Can't you take this cup from me? Now, the other way that this is described from Ephesians chapter 6 is not so much wrestling with God, but wrestling against temptation from the devil. A little different perspective, but much the same thing because typically when we're trying to discern what God's will is for our lives, we have it very clearly identified the big ticket items are right there in the Bible, but sometimes we don't know what the other things are that God hasn't chosen to reveal in the Bible. Does God want me to live in Florida or Illinois? Now, some of you would say that's an easy choice. Does God want me to have this job or that job? Does God want us to have another 
baby. I mean, I could go on and on, right? Because all of those things, there's nothing in the Bible to tell you what God wants for you next. And furthermore, um, you're, you're probably not in today's day and age going to receive a visit from, the, from an angel like people sometimes did in the Old Testament. You're going to be left with choices. You're going to be left with trying to exercise wisdom and discernment based on those big principles from the Bible, but sometimes still choosing between two goods and trusting that God's got you whether you choose this good or that good. Man. And then the reason they call it spiritual warfare in the midst of all that trying to figure out what God wants, in comes the devil and says, but what about you? Don't you want this? And it's not always wrong when making these choices to consider your own desires as long as God's desires are up here and my desires are down here. And so as we talk about this today, this is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, talking about spiritual warfare, says, man, we need to put on the full armor of God. And why God makes so, much, so many beautiful promises in the Bible about this kind of thing. Give us that slide about spiritual warfare. There's a, you can't read it maybe, but down here is a beautiful little promise from the Old Testament about Spiritual warfare, I'll read it for you. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 121, verses 7 and 8. Wow, is that powerful to know when we are making choices. And when we're struggling against the devil... Knowing God wants us to go this way, but deep down we want to go that way. So what can we learn as we wrestle with God in our own struggle, struggles with God's will? What can we learn from what Jesus did? And that's where I want to take us next. And I, and I, want, to, um, I want to ask this question first. Of what can we be certain when we seek God's will. A couple weeks ago when I was last up to teach from the stage here, I put a slide up about Lent. And I want to put that slide back up. What is Lent? And we're, we're coming to the end of Lent now. And at that time I said, I really love this definition of what Lent is all about. It's a season of reflection. We're thinking about our own lives. We're getting up on the balcony. We're, we're thinking, what needs to change? We're asking for God the Holy Spirit's help for those things that do need to change, especially those spiritual things. What sins do we need to get rid of? What sins do we need to be forgiven of, first and foremost, through the blood of Christ? But I want to focus on this last word, preparation, because that's really where we're at today. What do we need to be prepared for? And that's really the source of this question. When we're seeking God's will, 
what's the very first thing that we need to be prepared for so that it doesn't hit us by surprise so that we don't get taken off guard and trip up simply because we didn't see it coming. And we can learn a lot from Jesus in this account just on that point. So let's take a look at verses 39 and 40. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. So this was a place clearly that Jesus often went. He may have even known the manager or the owner of the Mount of Olives and been given permission to gather his disciples there, even to sleep there. This is shortly, as I mentioned earlier, before Jesus' arrest. I mean moments before. His disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, this is him saying, be prepared. Be prepared. And what does he want them to be prepared for? Pray that you will not fall into temptation. You know, when we start to seek the will of God, we can rest assured that when we're after the will of God, God's three greatest enemies, our greatest three enemies, Satan himself, the devil, the world around us, and that little Benedict Arnold that lives within us, our own sinful nature, are going to try to trip us up. They just are. And they're going to lay before us a little cornucopia of temptations to focus on ourselves rather than to focus on God's will. What do I want? And instead of God's will being on top and our will being sublimated to it, often the temptation is going to be very much like Eve and Adam's temptation in the garden which was essentially Satan slithering into it in the form of a serpent and saying, did God really say that? I mean, what about you, Eve? Doesn't that fruit look good? Now, the devil doesn't really learn a lot of new tricks. He just gets better and better and better at the old tricks. And this is one of his key tricks. Think about yourself first. One of the things I believe you've probably heard me if you've been around this church is that really the root of all sin is when a human being turns inward to himself and the focus becomes his own heart, his own mind, instead of the way God originally designed it to be, which is God blesses us, loves us, And then we return thanks and worship to him. And our focus is first and foremost on him, not on ourselves. So this is so key. What did Jesus do when he faced this situation? Do you know Jesus didn't even get into his ministry before this came up for him? I want to read you some passages so that you can kind of see how Jesus handled it. So Jesus is not even really into his ministry yet, and he goes out into the wilderness, the desert, and meets up with the devil after 40 days of fasting. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, how hungry would you be? I know how hungry I would be after 40 days of fasting. The devil says, 
Think about yourself, Jesus. Aren't you hungry right now? Tell this stone to become bread. You can do it. You're the son of God. Why not? Jesus answered, it is written, and I highlighted these words for a reason, man shall not live on bread alone. What's Jesus quoting? What he knows is in the Bible, is the word of God, and has already been revealed, this is God's will. I want to seek God's will, devil, not my own. We go on. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus, why go through all this hassle of ministry and disciples that don't really seem to get what you're saying and People attacking you. There's a quicker way, Jesus. Don't you want that? Jesus answered. There you see the words again. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus says, I know what God's will is. Not to serve you, devil. Not to fill up your orders. But to do what? God desires. I know what it is because it's in the Bible. What's Jesus doing here? He's using what Paul will later call the sword of the Spirit to fight back against Satan. And that sword is the sword you can wield. And finally, third time, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the Son of God, come on, Jesus, you, get, you better prove yourself to me. He said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, now what's the devil doing? This is the devil talking now. Oh, we want to quote Bible passages? I can quote Bible passages, Jesus, if that's the game we're playing. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus, the Son of God, has wisdom and discernment. He knows that's not the passage to apply in this situation. One more slide. Jesus answered, it is said in the Bible, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's the word of God that we should be quoting here, devil. When the devil had finished all this tempting, what did he do? Because he had no choice. Because Jesus had used the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, to defeat him. He left him until an opportune time. Jesus had gone through temptation from the very beginning of his ministry. And how we conduct spiritual warfare, I love this picture that I found in my research. How do you conduct spiritual warfare? This time it looks more like a shield than a sword, but it has the same effect. The devil may, may be trying to punch you, but he will never get through God's word. It is the most beautiful and perfect shield for your soul and will always allow you the freedom to seek 
God's will instead of your own. So here's what I want you uh, to write down. What can you expect when you seek God's will? Number one, you can expect that temptation will always try to sabotage you. Temptation sent by the devil, the world, and your own sinful flesh. Now, when you think of that picture of the Bible, I want you to think about something very practical that we offer here at Amazing Love called our Christian Essentials Classes. And in fact, the one that's coming up in just a couple weeks, Christian Essentials 2 or CE2 as we sometimes call it, is exactly about this point. How to wield that sword of the Spirit. How to hold up the shield of the Bible. And how, what does that practically look like in day-to-day -day life? How do you do that? And I'm not going to go deep into it today because guess what? We'll have three and a half hours. Some of you are like, three and a half hours? Yeah, three and a half hours to talk about God's Word and how to do spiritual warfare with God's Word and develop a deeper faith in Jesus Christ. Here's question number two. How do we beat temptation when seeking God's will? Doesn't it seem like I just covered that? Well, yes, I did. Certainly, the Word of God is primary when we want to beat temptation. But let's look at what Jesus did. Certainly, he knew God's word perfectly and knew how to use it. We just saw that. But what else did Jesus have at his disposal to beat temptation? Verses 41 and 42 say, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Would you underline in your, in your notes that word prayed? That's the critical word here. Jesus took time aside, even though he knew what was coming. No, I should say it this way, because he knew what was coming. About a stone's throw away from the disciples, and he knelt down and spoke and communed with his heavenly Father. He prayed. Why did he do that? Well, there are so many beautiful teachings in the Bible about prayer, about why Jesus would do that in this moment. One of my favorites is by um, an earlier Christian theologian we, we named Martin Luther. What does he say? Prayer is climbing up into the heart of God. Isn't that beautiful? What more could you ask for when you know you're going to go through a titanic battle, then before you head into that battle, to make sure this is really what God wants, that, that God is going to help you, walk with you, support you, and in order to do that, you need to be able to see his heart. Now, you can definitely see his heart, and very strongly, in the Word of God, the Bible. And I'm not leaving any of that behind. It's why I mentioned it first. But I love this quote. And I don't know about you, but I don't spend enough time climbing up into the heart of God. And, and I'm, I'm actually kind of convicted by this and so glad that when Jesus prayed, he did it because he needed to, 
He also did it because I needed him to. As the perfect substitute for my sins. For all the times when I haven't climbed up into the heart of God. Jesus is about to stretch out his hands, have them nailed to the cross and bleed and die. And then rise again in victory. For all those times when I've said, now nah, God, I got this. I'm good. I, I, I've read your Bible. I know what your will is. God, I'm busy. God, I have too much going on. God, the fear in my heart is so strong. If I tried to climb up into your heart, I could never get there. I would stumble and fumble, and I wouldn't be able to hear anything that I'm saying to you, much less what you're saying to me, because I'm filled with anxiety. Lord, I, I don't have time to climb up into your heart. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus climbed up into the heart of God? Did it because he needed to, but maybe even more so because you and I, we needed him to, to be the first and foremost and most powerful substitute so that now when God sees you, even if sometimes you fail to climb up into the heart of God when you should be doing that, God sees you through the blood of Christ. He sees you through all of Christ's perfections. And that means through him, you have climbed up through prayer into his heart. And that's such a beautiful thing. I want to show you Ephesians 6. Remember I said this is the spiritual warfare. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible. We talked about that. And then what does Paul say? <laughs> Let's read it together. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul even says, pray also for me. If we're going to do spiritual warfare, the Apostle Paul says, do it from on your knees. Do it looking up to God. Do it after you have crawled into the heart of God, as Luther says. And then Luther says one more thing that I think is so beautiful. And he talks about the power of prayer. Prayer is a powerful thing. For God has bound and tied himself thereunto. It's a little bit of an older language, thereunto. Means he has bound and tied himself to this prayer thing. And so he's made promises. Ask, seek, knock. You've heard some of them, many of you. The door will be open. That's why prayer is so powerful and so necessary as a powerful weapon against temptation. Would you write that in next? How do you beat temptation when seeking God's will? Use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and climb up into the heart of God because prayer is powerful, a powerful weapon against temptation. All right. And then, 
already asked once, what can we be certain of? I want to ask it a second time. What's the, what's the next thing? What else can we also be certain of? And we see that in the next set of verses as Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Just pause on that. Lord, take this cup away from me. And God sends an angel to strengthen him. Can you tell what God's answer is from that? Might not be exactly what Jesus hoped for, what Jesus was looking for, but it was what he truly needed. The strength that will come to him from an angel. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. We're not even sure what that was. There does seem to be a condition when a person is under extreme agony that blood will get into the sweat ducts because of the degree of anxiety and agony that that person is going through. Maybe it's just a, a metaphor, a description, like when you're bleeding and it's dripping like this, that that's how heavy the sweat was. We're not, we're not sure, but what we can be sure of, Jesus was concerned. And boy, did he need that strength. Let's take a look at what goes on next. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from Sorrow. Here's an, I love that because that's so real. What had Jesus been thinking he needed? What had Jesus been hoping for? Well, exactly what I would be hoping for. I'm in a growth group. When things go a little haywire in my growth group, in fact, I'm in several growth groups. You know what I do? We always have a prayer period at the end. Dan, men's group, will you pray for this for me? I need your prayers, brother. I need all these guys' prayers. Rick, you going to pray with me, right? So we do that on Tuesday night in our growth group. We pray for each other. What's Jesus hoping for? These, are, these guys are Jesus' growth group. In fact, these are some of the most devoted members of the growth group. These are the people that Jesus would say, hey, I can't be here because i got to go over here and pray. Will you lead growth group this week? And he says to them, he pulls them aside, and then he goes on a stone's throw from them, and he says to them, hey, guys, stay here and pray for me, will you? I need your prayers. How'd they do? Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You see, Jesus is not even concerned about himself here. Isn't that amazing? He's concerned for them and for the temptations they're about to face. Another guy that I, I love to quote from time to time in my messages, you've, you've heard me quote him before, is a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. Listen to what he says about this. Whether we like it or not, God intends to give us what we need. What did Jesus 
absolutely in this moment need. Not for the cup to be taken away from him as he at first thought, as he thought he wanted, but for strength delivered through an angel. And God gave him what he truly needed. And that's the same for us, not what we now think we need. Boy, <laughs> just leave that up for a second. Camp out on that phrase. How many times have we actually prayed, Lord, not thy will be done, but my will be done. Lord, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. I built up some wisdom. Here's, here's what I think the plan is. Okay, God? This is the origin of the phrase, we plan and God laughs. Right? Because there are many things we think we want, and especially when we're in a titanic struggle, and our will wants to get done. Because we're afraid, we're anxious, we're worried about what's coming. Or those temptations hit us. I want what I want when I want it, which is pretty much right now, Lord, immediate gratification, please. So, Lord, give me this. Do this. Here's the plan. Here's the strategy, Lord. Isn't that easy for you, Lord? I just delivered it to you. And God says, oh, hold on a minute. And he decides, which is always the way it works when our will and God's will are competing. He decides what we truly need. And are you okay with that? Are you, that's the challenging question. Can you step back from what you think you want and go, I know God will give me what I truly need? Because that's an essential skill in spiritual warfare. An essential skill, even when wrestling with God, is at the end of that wrestling match to say, God, you didn't give me what I thought I needed. You gave me what you knew I needed. And I am grateful for that. Will you write this down? We can be certain. Here's the other thing we can be certain of. God will give us all the support we need. Because he gave Jesus, his one and only son, all the support he needed to hang on a cross to die for the sins of the world, which means, isn't that a beautiful phrase? Have you ever thought about that? Jesus died for the sins of the world. That's actually a Bible passage, not just for your sins only, John writes, but for the sins of the entire world. You know why that's such a beautiful phrase and you should always keep it in mind? Because if Jesus died for the sins of the world, whose sins did he certainly die for? If the sins of the entire world are forgiven, whose sins are most certainly forgiven? Yours are. Mine are. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of the world. 
What more famous Bible passage is there than John 3.16, God so loved the, thank you, the world that he gave his one and only son, which means he gave his one and only son for you. And you can be completely assured of it. You have all that you need, even when you don't always have all that you want. Isn't that beautiful? So what's your next step? All right, one more quote, and then we'll do your next step. You want to get deeper in your ability to wage spiritual warfare? You want to understand how to wrestle even with God? Well, my friend Martin Luther said, there's very simple three-step process for deepening your faith, getting stronger. This is not really a good translation? Prayer, study, and suffering make a, anyone know how that really ends? A theologian. Now he, the translator made it pastor. I, I don't like it because this is not just for pastors. This is for every Christian. And, and I'm assuming that if you're a Christian, you want to become a theologian. You want to grow deeper <laughs> in your study of God. Here's your next step. You want to fight? I will seek God's will by studying the Bible, just what Luther said, by praying, and by making choices based on wisdom. How do you get wisdom? So often through suffering. And then comparing that with the Word of God. All right, that's your next step. Seek God's will by studying the Bible, by praying, and by making choices based on wisdom. I want to offer you the opportunity today to fill out this card and check the box on the back that says, I'm going to do that. I'm really going to take this next step. Let's continue with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there we will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 